This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Swing and a drive. Right field and deep. Back goes Aquino. It's got a chance. Gone. Get out the tape measure. Long gone. Fly the W. Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley-Jean. You are listening to Season 2, Episode 25 of the Fly the W670 Podcast. This one we're calling David Ross and the Bunt. Don't forget to listen, download, review, most importantly, subscribe to our podcast, follow us on the socials. Fly the W670 on Twitter and Instagram, fly the W on Facebook, or email us, fly the W670 at gmail.com. Crawley, today's game, Cubs Reds, was uh, postponed because of weather. Hope you're having a uh, good Wednesday otherwise. I can't complain too much. The one thing, though, I, I, I was watching the game yesterday, and as, as it was getting later, I was getting nervous. I thought we were going to have a really red ass Dustin, but uh, luckily, Ooh, things turn, luckily things turned around. Yeah, I was following on my phone. I wasn't able to watch in real time. I had the DVR fire, fired up so I could go back and see what uh, Hayden looked like. Um, I was following on the app. But, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's get into it. Uh, Cubs versus the Reds. Cubs headed to the Great American Ballpark to take on the Reds for their first road trip of the season. And in the first game, Drew Smiley took the ball for the Cubs. Yeah, Drew Smiley versus Connor Overton uh, to open the series, and things looked good right away as Nico and Dansby started the game out with back-to-back singles. He and Hap struck out, but then Cody Bellinger, Mr. 0-for-11 in the opening series against Milwaukee, unleashes a massive belly bomb, three-run homer, put the Cubs up 3 nothing. I know you had to have been loving that one, Dustin. Absolutely, because we were giving him a little bit of the business on uh... – the show on Monday, he was my most disappointing Cub, most disappointing so far through three whole games. But you got to start somewhere when you got to do 20 hours of uh, 25 live hours of radio every week. <laughs> so you're feeling good, right? Three nothing lead, no problem. Absolutely. Drew Smiley takes the okay. mound, right? And first thing he does is walk the very first batter, the speedy Jonathan India, which had me banging my head on the table. Like you just Something got staked we've just been talking lead. about, right? We were just talking about, hey, you cannot walk the batters. Right, especially after you have a 3 nothing lead. You got it. Your guys got it for you. Go in there and just be aggressive. Um, you know, he gave up. So he walks India, and then he gives up singles to the next four batters, and the game was tied at three. Uh, then in the second, Smiley gave up a single to Jose Barrero. Then TJ Friedel, I thought, had a great series, uh, bunted to Smiley. And for no reason, I don't know if he saw a ghost or what, he threw it to first. There was no one covering, and that would lead to the Reds adding another run, and the Cubs were down 4-3. to three. All right, you know, that's not, not, not something you can't come back from at the Great American Ballpark. We've seen those type of games, right? In the fourth, 
Smiley gives up two quick outs, but gave up a triple. He hits Jonathan India with the pitch and walks Spencer Steer to load the bases until getting Will Myers to pop out and end the threat. So you could just kind of see him struggling and fighting the entire game. But luckily, the Cubs came fighting back in the fifth. Dansby Swanson, he has not cooled down at all. He singled and Ian Happ doubled to put runners at second and third with no outs. Cody Bellinger popped out, but Trey Mancini grounded out, and it was enough to advance to uh, and it was enough to advance to runners, and the game was tied at four. Patrick Wisdom, next batter up, got drilled in the wrist. Keep that in your mind. Ninety-four miles per hour, flush on the wrist. Tough guy stays in the game. Eric Hosmer doubles, and the Cubs now lead six to four. So, all right, Cubs have fought back. Everything's great, but you know that lead is not going to hold in that ballpark. Drew Smiley comes out in the fifth. He gives up a leadoff single to Tyler Stevenson. Kevin Newman flied out. Then Stuart Fairchild was hit by a pitch. Luis Maley popped out for the second out, and you're thinking maybe this guy's, maybe Smiley's going to get out of there. Nope, he gives up a three-run blast to Jason Bossler, who came in as an injury sub, and that put the Reds back up 7-6. to six. A lot of people were not happy. David Ross let him come out for that fifth inning, much less... Uh, you know, after he hits the batter and puts two guys on, lets him face another batter. Right. I mean, the, the name of this episode is well named David Ross and the Bunt. It could have been, uh, why did Drew Smiley get to throw 90 pitches? I mean, that could have been the name, another name for this episode. As I don't mind, I don't mind him going back out in the fifth, Crowley. I have no problem with that. He's a veteran. He, he's a crafty kind of guy. But as soon as he gives off the leadoff single, that is it. 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 And then, oh, he owned this guy and he owned that guy is what David Ross tried to say later on the next day. But, uh, boy, that really chapped my ass. For me, it was when he hit Stuart Fairchild, you know, was hit by a pitch, right? So he gives up the single, then he gets the out, and you're like, okay. And then he hits the guy, and you're like, dude, okay, enough. Now you've just put the, you know, tying run at home plate. So that's where it bothered me. So the Cubs are down 7-6, but then – the most frustrating sequence of a very frustrating game happened in the top of the seventh inning. Cody Bellinger walks. Great. Trey Mancini reaches first on catcher's interference. So they kind of lucked out on that because, uh, you know, Mancini hit the ball and it would have been one out with uh, Bellinger at second. But everybody's safe because of catcher's interference. You got runners at first and second. You're down seven to six. Then Patrick Wisdom, who had two home runs the game before, was asked to bunt on a day when you you already got 13 runs and everybody's hitting the crap out of the ball. Okay. So that Dustin to me, you know, uh, luckily David Ross was on 670, the score. Um, he was on with uh, Bernstein and Holmes and that's middays right after you guys. And, and, you know, Lawrence asked him straight up what was going on with that. And I'm glad he did. And we have a clip of that real quick right here. Wisdom bunt. What was, was that on him? Was that something that came from you? And what were the options in that situation as, as you saw them? Uh, yeah, I mean, that was on me. I made that decision as the first and second. He got hit in the wrist the time before. Uh, there was a lot of question marks within that. He was taking some swings in the cage the inning before. Felt like he was good enough to play. Um, but we all know, like, you know, actual game speed, um, contact swings are a little bit different so just being down there one uh, got contact behind him and, and Hosmer and, and uh, plenty of matchup stuff behind Wiz want to get those guys in the scoring position second and third got to a three one count still an advantage count um, for Wiz you know uh, and just happened to not execute the bump you know we'll kind of never know how things play out uh, until we get to that you know maybe hits a three run homer if we let him swing away or maybe he strikes out and um, and we don't get anything, but, uh, yeah, man, I think it's like one of those, I'm, I've got a lot of question marks about how he feels, uh, trusting the feedback I'm getting from my trainers, uh, and also trusting the feedback he's telling me of, of how he can perform. What was there ever a point where you were thinking, you know what, maybe I need to go in a different direction and pinch hit for him. Sure. Sure. But when it became, I, I had that, that, that batter ready, but when it was first and second, nobody out, uh, the obvious play for me with the question marks and, um, still wanting to have bat- matchup behind him when they brought in San Martin. Um, the easy play for me was to ask him to sacrifice. I knew he could do that. He is a good bunter. I know he didn't get it down, but 
uh, he's a, a very fundamentally sound player, and um, they just didn't execute. But uh, absolutely, I had uh, a pinch hitter ready. Well, Carly, let me say this. <laughs> let me say this. I, I thought that was a really good explanation. I thought he explained it very well. I feel like he maybe listened to the trainers too much. The trainers told him, hey, he can't swing, but he can stay in there. He could probably lay down a bunt, and it won't hurt him. But the one thing he makes out, he went up there to bunt from the get-go. He wasn't bunting on three and one, right? He was bunting from the start of the at-bat. So that's the part where I say, wait a minute, David. Like, you're you're acting like if I didn't watch the game that you had him decide to bunt at three and one. No, that's not when you decided to have him bunt. You had him going up there bunting from the start. And maybe, maybe to your point about Mancini getting on first base because of catcher's interference and them kind of lucking in to first and second and nobody out, I wonder if that played a role in the decision as well because you had first and second and nobody out. I, I, I don't I don't hate it. It just and then the the worst part was in the ninth inning, we're gonna get to that later, wisdom hits a single. So like he was able to swing and that's the part that ends up bothering you later on. I think him singling in the ninth adds a little bit of gasoline on this fire, if you will. I got a lot of questions about it, and I thought it was one of the worst decisions I've ever seen David Ross make, and I'll tell you why. We talked the other day about, you know, sometimes, depending on the situation, you want to bunt. If it's 35 degrees and the wind's blowing in at Wrigley Field and you're facing a stud pitcher, yeah, maybe bunt to advance the runner. But when you got a pitcher that's struggling and all you got a guy that's hot and you got a 3-1 count, okay, maybe you did, Dustin. Maybe you did want to go up there and you wanted to bunt, right? When you get to three to one, you take the bunt sign off, take it off and let the guy swing. And if he can't swing, you should have somebody in there that can. If you're, if he's listening to the trainers and they're saying, well, he can't swing, but he can bunt. Then let me ask you a question. Why is Nick magical on the team? Isn't he Mr. Contact? Well, you heard him say though, he's wait. Yes, he is to answer your first question, but you heard, you heard Ross say that he was saving guys for future matchups when they were going to go to the pen. That's what he was doing. I, I, I'm looking at this and, and, you know, I, the bench I, I is a problem, Crowley. I, I would like to get into this later on in the podcast, the bench, the bench, the roster construction right now, in my opinion, is a problem and something that needs to be discussed between the two of us. Well, let's right. stick to so, what we're, let's so, stick to what we're focused in on right now, which is right. this particular at bat in this particular moment on Monday. Wisdom. This was brought up by Cliff Floyd, who I thought is doing a great job in the post game with Cole Wright, who's been on the show, but Here's the thing. Wisdom has bunted for a hit once in his career, and he has two sack bunts in his career. This is not a bunter, okay? Either way, what ends up happening is Wisdom bunts it straight to the pitcher, and and, and Cliff brought it up like in, in the postgame too, is that if you take a look where everybody was set up, there just wasn't any – the whole idea was just a bad idea in, my, in general, I, I just thought. And so Eric Hosmer, the next batter, struck out, right? And then you had a pinch hitter for uh, Edwin Rios, uh, catcher Luis Torrens. He walked to load the bases. And then Ross called on his last catcher, Jan Gomes, to pinch hit for the starting catcher, Tucker Barnhart. Right? So Gomes strikes out to end the threat. And that, like I said, to me, that was just really, really frustrating all around. Super frustrating. No doubt about it. I mean, it was it was a big, big topic of conversation on the Tuesday Mullion Haw show. There's no doubt about that. Cubs tried to rally one more time in the ninth with two outs. Patrick Wisdom singled. There he is. Apparently he can swing the bat. Um, so he singles. <laughs> Eric Hosmer singled to put the tying run at second. Magical is going to pinch run for Hosmer. And then Miles Mastrobuani pinch hit for Luis Torrens. Mastrobuani hit a line drive that had a 600 average on normal. When you talk about the speed and the angle, Six out of ten times, that's going to be a single. And Jason Vossler, who had the big hit, ends up snagging it to end the game. I, I have no idea what was going on. I, I know Smiley was just bad. He lasted 4.2 innings. He gave up nine hits, seven runs, six earned, two walks, three Ks, and one home run. Keegan, we got to talk about. Keegan Thompson, he saved the bullpen by going 3.1 innings, giving up one hit, no walks, and three Ks. So, when you look at Keegan Thompson, and I'm putting up this graphic from Marquee uh, Sports, uh, their Twitter, 
at Watch Marquee. Last 20 relief appearances, 50.2 innings pitch, 57 Ks, 178 ERA. Not too shabby, Dustin. No, not too shabby, and I would have liked him to have gotten three and two-third innings of work and brought him in a little earlier as I was going back. I mean, why would you take – we talked about this on the last podcast. A couple of things before we move on. You took Jamison Tyone out. You and I had a little bit of a disagreement. You said that you know he wasn't in good form, but he was at 60 – low 60s? He was under 70 pitches when they took him out. So all of a sudden, you're going to let Drew Smiley go 90 because he's a crafty veteran? Wait a minute. You just paid Tyone to be a big-time guy, and all of a sudden you're going to pull him before 70 pitches? And then your point earlier, Madrigal, the guy who is on this team because he makes contact, why is he pinch running? Couldn't Master Boney be the pinch runner? And couldn't Madrigal have been the guy? And Right? I mean, that's right. just one right there. Like. And again, we can sit here and say, and I, I mean, I love the metric, Crowley. I laughed. I saw it on Twitter as well. You know, that 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 the speed off the bat of Master Boney, 60 whatever, low 60% of the time, it goes for a hit. Well, guess what? It didn't go for a hit that night, okay? And I don't think anybody would have said, oh my gosh, why would you not have Master Boney hit instead of, instead of Nikki, right? I, I just don't, ma- magical. I don't understand. That's another part of it that I didn't understand. Why would you have Nick Madrigal run instead of Master have, have Master Boney run and have Madrigal hit? But I'm I, sure I there was might, a book. Uh, I'm sure there was a book that you know Master Boney was going to have a better shot at getting a hit than Madrigal was because of some book. Some Master Boney's left a lefty though, right? Left-handed hitter. Right. Yep. Yep. And so I think that's, that's it really kind of came down to that. But but to me, right? When you again going back to that seventh inning, when you got two guys on and you need somebody, you're and you're David Ross and you're th- saying bunt. You he said I put it on, I put it on. So if you wanted to bunt, first of all, I mean Nick Madrigal is way smaller than Patrick Wisdom. You give him a harder target to even try to hit in. Who knows? He might even walked. I, I just thought that that was a huge mistake. And rather than David Ross giving some long mealy mouth answer just say i screwed up that that's as simple as it goes because that's what happened um it was what probably we did, it was probably ross's worst game definitely this year but the worst game i can remember wasn't oh, a good one oh. uh the cubs off- offense did break out like we hope scoring six runs on 12 hits dansby swanson three for five right eric cosmer went three for five with his first two rbis and cody bellinger with his first home run for the cubs Overton was just as bad as Smiley going four innings, giving up eight hits, five runs, one walk, and five Ks. Kevin Newman, hello, Newman, legendary Cubs killer, (laughs) used to be with the Pirates. He went one for four with two RBIs and made some nice plays at shortstop. Jason Bossler was one for three, but that three was the big three-run home run to give the Reds the win, and he makes the game-ending catch. Well, Crowley, that was one that uh, I think the Cubs could have had, and um, that leads us into the game from last night, and it was kind of a, as early as we are in the season, it kind of made it a uh, must-win statement game as far as I was concerned. It sure felt like it. You had Hayden Wesniski versus Luis Sesa, and once again, the Cubs come out swinging. Uh, Horner with a leadoff single. Swanson crushed one that was caught against the wall. A nice play by DJ TJ Frandel, but that looked like it was going to be extra bases. Ian Happ singles. Cody Bellinger singles to load the bases. Mancini hits a rope that was caught by Will Myers, who threw home. Nico just under the tag. Just some great base running by that guy. Cubs up one nothing. Dustin, when I watched that slide, I was like, yes, we actually have a leadoff hitter. I'm, I'm excited about that. <laughs> oh, he's, he's been great in that spot so far this year. Could Hayden do something that neither Tyone or Smiley could do in the last couple of starts and pitch a shutdown inning after the offense scored? The answer, sadly, was no. no. Jonathan India doubles to lead off the game. TJ Friedel was thrown out by Patrick Wisdom on a bunt attempt that moved him to third, so that, that was good. And then Jake Fraley singled to tie the game. The Reds took a lead on a TJ Friedel solo home run in the third, and then Bossler crushed one in the fourth, and the Cubs were down three to one. And I'm just telling you, Dustin, that whole game was nothing but frustrating because the Cubs were hitting the ball all over the place, hard as hell, and it just they just weren't falling, man. And the Babip, right. Babip gods were not in their favors. There was one play where their left, I think it was a right fielder, like climbed the wall like Spider-Man and made a play that was on a ball that was going to be foul. It was just unbelievable how the Cubs just could not catch a break. Yeah, they weren't not catching any breaks early. I was, again, you were watching it live. I was following it on my phone. And, uh, yeah, things just were not going our way in the beginning of that game. 
But Patrick Wisdom came up with in the six with one out and hit a double. Eric Cosmer, who loves, just like Ian Happ, loves hitting in Cincinnati. He singled, and the Cubs cut the lead to three to two. And then the offense really blew up in the seventh inning. Hosmer leads off with the doubles. Swanson walks, Happ doubles, Bellinger walks, Mancini singled, Wisdom singled. Hosmer reached on an error. Gomes grounded into a double play. Well, great. Thanks for that. Even Miles Mastrobuani, your favorite, he singled and drove in a run. But when the dust settled, the Cubs scored six runs and had taken an eight to three lead. The Cubs would add three more in the eighth and one in the ninth. And the Cubs scored two in the bottom of the eighth as the Cubs take, took game two, 12 to five. Wesniski, I know you were pumped up, did not have the start we were looking for. He went 4.2 innings, giving up six hits. Three runs, two walks, four Ks, two home runs. But hey, they were solo home runs, man. You know what they always say is that if you're going to give up some runs, make them, you know, some home runs, make them of the solo variety. The bullpen of Rucker, Alzelay, Boxberger, and Merriweather looked solid. Alzelay went 2.2. He looked really good. He gave up two hits and two runs, but it was a two run home run by Stuart Fairchild. But he struck out five and 2.2. He gets the win, but I thought he looked really good again. Yep, absolutely. He looked uh, he looked good. You know, my biggest problem with uh, with my guy Hayden was the was the two the number two the two walks two home runs. As you pointed out, they were they were solo home runs. Uh, he's he's a confident guy though, and uh, I have faith that he'll be good again uh, the next time out. I think that's what people get frustrated with is that it's early on and, and everything kind of feels magnified. These these are guys, these are young players, and they're gonna they're gonna have their ups and they're gonna have his downs. And that, and and I think that Hayden has the right mental makeup in my opinion when I heard some of the post-game stuff and him talking you know he was you know disappointed in his outing but he was happy the team won said all the right things I'm I'm, I'm you know definitely like I said it, it's it's early I know people are freaking out and we got to put this guy up and this guy down let's just kind of just let this thing breathe a little bit you know what I mean it's I, I don't think I, I think it's very very early to kind of freak out as much as I think people have been freaking out all right, then today's game, Crowley, we were supposed to see Marcus Stroman get the ball. It was going to be an 11-30 first pitch out at the Great American Ballpark, but uh, weather and a uh, tornado watch get in the way. The game's going to be made up in September, uh, a day-night doubleheader out there in Cincinnati. So uh, the, put, the pitching staff, everybody gets moved back a little bit, and uh, the Cubs get Thursday off. Friday, they're going to take on the Rangers, and uh, Stroman's going to get to throw in front of the uh, home crowd once again. Yeah, it's frustrating though because you know I think Cincinnati is a very beatable team, and you need these you need these wins as much as you can stack them in the first half of the season. I'm less worried about the second half. So, to me, I was really frustrated they couldn't get it in. Yeah, but I'm glad they didn't sit there all damn day, right? Like they got the day off tomorrow. Like if you're gonna get, like if if it's not gonna happen, don't sit there until four or five o'clock and get that thing started. Get back to Wrigley at midnight or one a.m. and it really wrecks the day off for the team. Yeah, it is what it is. But like I said, hopefully uh, hopefully the offense continues the way it's been going. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to the Fly the W670 podcast, Season 2, Episode 25, David Ross and the Bunt. In this segment, Crawley interviews Andy Martinez of Marquee Sports Network. Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, we have beat writer for Marquee Sports Network, Andy Martinez. You've read his work. You've seen him on the Marquee Network. How are you doing tonight, Andy? I'm doing well. How are you? Thank you for having me on. Oh, absolutely. Lo- love seeing you and love reading your work. 
You know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, other than, again, I like your work, is that you wrote an article a few days ago about the Cubs' long-term plans for Chris Morrell. And I, I'm sure you're probably smiling a little bit here because, oh, my God, is the drumbeat loud of fans yeah. that want Chris Morrell up to Chicago. And it's easy to see why, right? He's, he's a fun-loving, enjoyable guy. Right, yeah, and that's – that's. I mean, the the – clubhouse the aura around the team is so much better when he's around there's no doubt about that i mean he's always smiling he's he's always happy he's always just exuberant when he's around i've never not seen him smile um there's been even times this this sounds so weird but there's even been times in the clubhouse after a loss where he'll at least give you like a little smirk like hey how's it going um which you know is is not too common amongst a lot of players some of the when when they lose a lot of players are upset but Chris finds a way to, to give out a smile, even, even in, in tough times. So, yeah, I mean, he, his, his presence is, is definitely missed uh, at the big league level, but there was, there's a reasoning for why they, why they decided to, to option him down to Iowa to start the year. Yeah. And you, you had a chance to talk to Jed Hoyer. What what Jed have a chance? What, what did he say to you about why Chris Morrell did not make the team? Yeah. So the big thing that Jed mentioned and, and David Ross mentioned it too. And I talked to a couple of people with the team too, that also mentioned it's just, comes down to playing time, right? It does no good if he's playing one one day a week, maybe at right field. If he's pinch hitting three days later uh, against a against a lefty, maybe even a tough lefty, that that doesn't really benefit anyone, right? It, it, he has no chance to find his rhythm. It, 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 I think it's easy to get almost blinded by his start when he first got up to the major leagues. Well, he was so good, and every time he was up there, it just seemed like he was going to get a hit. It seemed like every game he was going to go two for four, two for five with with a double or home run. Like it just seemed like he was just going to have a ton of success. But later on in the season, he really, really struggled, especially the last two months of the year. I believe he hit like around 183 over the last two years. The league figured him out. He was striking out a lot. There was a lot of weaknesses in his swing that that teams found and exploited. And so the thing became is okay. He's got to figure these out and he's got to improve that. That's not a, a bad thing that he has those flaws. Every player comes up and and has those flaws unless you're, you know, superstar sort of like Juan Soto or someone like that. But uh, we're not putting Christopher Morel and Juan Soto uh, together yet in the same boat. But the thing with him is, is trying to figure out those swings, and he's not going to get that if he's playing every fifth day, every sixth day, once every other day, maybe one at bat every every week. So for him and for the Cubs' long-term success, it made the most sense to, to option him down in Iowa, kind of play a little bit all over the field, kind of like he did with the Cubs last season. But more importantly, get those regular at-bats where he can figure out some of the, the things in his mechanics, some of the weaknesses in his game and, and improve on that so that there's going to be injuries. There's going to be poor performances that the Cubs have when they do call upon him. They know that they're getting more closer to the, the, the player that they saw the first two months when he was at the big leagues compared to the player that they saw the last two months in the big leagues. Yeah. I remember he had this on base streak that was just like 24, 25 games. He hit the yeah. home run in his first game and everyone gets excited. And then as you point out in the article, he slashes 163, 238, 340 with 62 strikeouts in 55 games, right? 50 starts. I mean, that that's the thing is that you, you kind of love him so much because of what you're talking about. I saw a spring training game this year where it was pouring. I think it was against the Reds. And he's yeah. literally signing autographs for all the people that are in the stands yeah. instead of running to the bus. But, but if people want him to be successful, especially in the long term, this is not a bad idea. And I think what – I don't know if you know who talked to Chris about it, but you mentioned in the article there's a lot of players that were up and then had to go back down, right? Right. That, that's the thing. It, it's it, the, the thing about the Cubs that almost gets in a way overlooked is just how they deepen their, their roster from, from top to bottom, pitching side and, and, and on, the, uh, on the hitting side that it kind of forced this move that Christopher Morrell had to be optioned down at the beginning of the offseason, If you would have said Christopher Morrell is going to start the season in Iowa, you would have thought, Oh man, he had a really bad spring or the, the, the Cubs signed all these different, like they signed all four shortstops or something like that, that they just required. Like you didn't think that Christopher Morrell going to Iowa at the start of the offseason was a real thing. But then as the move started happening, you're starting to do the, the, the quick math and the, the, the quick roster projections in your head. And you're like, well, Trey Mancini, that, that like he can play in the outfield and he can play first base, he can DH. All right, Eric Hosmer, he can play first base, he can DH. And you're starting to get all these additions. And, and I think especially when Edwin Rio signed, it, it be kind of became a thing where it's like, okay, like where is Christopher Morrell going to fit? That it, 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 There's no logical fit on the roster outside of that super utility bench role, which is great. And, and he would have been the Cubs' natural backup at, at almost every position except for first base and catcher. But 
again, that doesn't that doesn't help him, and it doesn't help the Cubs if he's if he's not playing regularly. You know, yeah, and and again, this has happened. Ian Happ, I, you remember how yeah. upset he was when he got called down, and and you know what, he made the adjustments, and now he's an All Star. It's not like it can't happen. Uh, right. People forget Kyle Schwarber was sent back down. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing is, I, I talked to to someone with the with the Cubs coaching staff, and they told me they they talked to him, and they said, hey, listen. This isn't the end of the world. Nico Horner was optioned in, in 2021 to start 2021. Look who he is now. Ian Happy mentioned him, Kyle Schwarber. Players get optioned. I don't want to say all the time, but they do get optioned, but it's not the end of the world, right? Like players can come up. You can get optioned. You can come back up. And and the onus is on him to kind of prove to the Cubs that, hey, hey, you you made a mistake. Like that those last two months of the season were were a fluke. They weren't who I am. Like this is who I am that's the onus on him. And, and I know his first at bat or, or first game in Iowa, he hits a home run. So it's kind of, it's kind of like, he's already pushing, pushing the envelope in, in a way, but that's the thing is the option. I think you, you, there's such a big deal about the opening day roster. And, and David Ross talked about this. Jed Hoyer talked about this work. Guys try to like, you want to be on the opening day roster and, and you've been, you've been to opening day. I've been to opening day. Like we know how special opening day is for sure. Like there is the, the aura of being on at opening day but the reality of the situation is someone like Christopher Morrell, someone like Nelson Velasquez, guys like that are eventually going to work their way up in Chicago just because, like I mentioned, there's going to be injuries that happen. There's going to be guys that struggle. There's going to be double headers where they need to call up some. Like there's there's so many things that that happen throughout the course of a, of a full 162-game season that this isn't the the end of the world for Christopher Morrell or Cubs fans who, who, who love Christopher Morrell. Like Christopher Morrell will, will be up in Chicago at some point this season. Yeah, so it's funny. We actually went down. We went to opening day. It was my twenty third opening day that I went to, and uh, and then we went. We woke up the next day on Friday and drove straight to Iowa to go see the I Cubs, and they crushed yeah. the Columbus Clippers eleven to five. You know, but it was weird because I see Morrell. He's on the field. He's playing catch, but there's almost part of you that kind of realized, you know, like like you said, opening day, thirty five, thirty six thousand people, sometimes forty, right. as opposed to Iowa, which is cold, and they were having the Final Four women's game, and you know, it's not the same thing, man. But you know, he put his head down. He went two for four. He had two RBIs. I mean, looking good. But the main thing for him is cutting down on the strikeouts, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is the strikeouts are, are, are the bugaboo, especially with, with the way that the Cubs offense is constructed, where it's 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 okay if you have some strikeout with this Cubs lineup because the, the, the natural trade-off when you have a lot of strikeouts is usually you have a lot of power. Christopher Morrell wasn't having in those last two months where he struggled, they only had seven home runs. Right. So the, the power wasn't offsetting the the strikeouts. I think the guy we turn to all the time is Patrick wisdom, right? The, the strikeout rate seems astronomically high, but the trade-off is you're going to get 25 to 30 home runs, which you'll take that if the strikeout rate is, you know, 30% or so, like you'll take that when you're in Christopher Morrell's case, where I, I, I have to double check the numbers, but it was, really really high strikeout was i was higher than 30 percent. the home run rate wasn't there the, the trade-off doesn't make sense so fixing the fixing the strikeouts and, and adding power adding more contact that will help him become a more well-rounded player and really benefit the cubs because as we've seen the, the the lineup isn't constructed as it was in the past where it's it's you you might have a chance to go six guys straight hit a home run like this lineup is constructed on single double base hit knock bloop single like just just they're not going to be hitting a ton of home runs. So, so having that, the ability to not swing and miss is huge in this lineup because that's, that's how they're going to generate offense this year. Now I know there's so much value because Christopher, like you said, he can play all over the diamond. He can play infield. He can play outfield. But, you know, when you look at the Cubs and, and where they, they kind of sit right now, I mean, honestly, like I'd say out of all the spots where, okay, so we know up the middle is pretty solid, you know, yeah. you, you know, you know, Suzuki's going to be in right field. Hap is another question, but you know, you got a bunch of guys down in Iowa and Tennessee banging on the door. Like to me, I feel like third base is really a spot. Do you think that there's going to be a focus for Christopher to be playing third base or do you think they're just going to continue to keep kind of moving him around and that's where his value is going to be? I mean, I think there's there is value to to moving him around. Jed Hoyer even mentioned someone like Chris Bryant, where he had a ton of value early on in his career, and even in his last season in Chicago, where they could play him at third base, they can play him at left field, they can play him at right field. I think he even played a little center field, and, and he can play first base. So like, there's there's value in having guys that can do that. And, and Christopher Morrell has shown that he can do that effectively, right? It's not like you're putting him out there and you're like, ooh, I don't know how we're what we're gonna get out of third base defense this this week or this or this game because of because Christopher Morrell's like you know you're gonna get solid defense. 
you know you're going to get solid defense in, in, in at second base or, or shortstop or, or in the corner outfields. Center field's got to prove, improve about, upon a little bit, but I, I think that'll come with more repetition. It was interesting because David Ross mentioned when uh, – I think it was right around opening day, maybe it was the day, second day of the season. I can't remember exactly when, but it was near the beginning of the season. He, he mentioned Christopher Morell and, like, what was the focus of, of playing time? And he mentioned, well, there's a lot of outfielders in Iowa, so, you know, probably moving around the infield more. And I believe his first start was in the outfield in Iowa. So it's like, oh, okay. Like, he's still <laughs> going to be moving around. Like, they're going to find they're gonna find places to, to move around. I think there is value in having that kind of player. We see it even at the, the, the big league level where, like, all right, Trey Mancini, for example, he can play right field, he can play first base. Miles Mastroboni can play kind of all over the place, and, and they have value in there. Nick Madrigal now can play third base and, and, and second base. So the Cubs clearly value the ability to be able to, to have players that can move around. The other thing, too, is, like, late in games, if they're going after chasing a run, having someone that, okay, you can pinch hit and you can kind of move things around and still have a good defense is, is pretty valuable. So I think Christopher Morrell, the long answer, yes, third base probably maybe makes the most sense. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of value for for him and for, for the Cubs to be able to play all over and not pigeonhole him to one position. And I, and I think that there's just like a lot of Cubs angst over five games. You know what I mean? We right, haven't played right. a week worth of games and, and and the pitchforks are out for and the, and the torches are out for Miles Mastrobuani, who... You know, I know people were upset at that little bloop, but I mean, that was a really hard play when the wind's blowing in. It's like, oh, dive. You don't realize that, you know, that ball's doing all sorts of tricks on you. It's really tricky. And, and you know, there's no saying that Christopher Morrell would have gotten that or not. It's, it's give the guy a chance. And, and again, let Christopher Morrell develop because it is hard to, like you said, without consistent at bats. And think about this. Think about the, the pitchers that they faced in that first series. When you're talking about Corbin Burns, when you're talking about Brandon Woodruff and Lauer and stuff like that, it, it's it's difficult to learn against those type of pitchers. Those are the best of the best. Right. Yeah. Like, the, uh, imagine they call him up and you're like, you we think he can improve on his struggles, and then he faces Brandon Woodruff and strikes out Corbin Burns and strikes out. It's like, okay, like he probably didn't figure it out because he's facing so, two of the best hitters. Like or two of the best pitchers, excuse me, in baseball. Like it, it, it's it's better to ha- have those flaws or, or work on those flaws, excuse me, against AAA pitching, against pitching that he can control. Because the fact of the matter is guys like Brandon Woodruff, guys like Eric Lauer, even had they faced uh, Hunter Green at the, in the series finale against Cincinnati, like those guys aren't going to help you. Like those are anomalies in the sense that like those are the tip top of, of the game. You're not going to learn anything by, by going up against them. Um, to your point, though, yeah, like the, the Miles Mastroboni play was an interesting one because he mentioned after the game, like he that's a learning experience for him. And and he thought that he he thought it was going to drop further away from him than it actually did. If if that makes sense, like he, he didn't think he could die for it. He realized like after the fact, like he could have dove for it and maybe had a play on it. But that's that's kind of like you don't call up Christopher Morrell for that one play. Right. Like you don't say, oh, like that one play trades off the the five strikeouts he would have had in that situation like that that's not how it works and and like yes it would have maybe helped them win that one game but would it have helped them win multiple games or would it have helped him improve his game in the long term that's to be determined and and i think the cubs are banking on the fact that in iowa while if theoretically if you really want to really pretzel brain yourself around like that christopher Merrill could have made that one play if if he was available or on the bench or anything like that like I don't know if that that uh, the trade off is worth him striking out five times and in, 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 and not getting regular at bats. Right. And how many games is it going to cost you if he can't perform offensively? Right. So, yeah, there, there's a trade off. Now, I did get to see you out in Arizona, which was awesome. When yeah. you were out there, what was the thing to you that kind of most struck out when you kind of stuck out when you kind of watched that team? And what were some things that impressed you the most from being out in Arizona? So the, the, the big thing was defense, right? And and we heard it all off or all off season and all spring. It's like defense, defense, defense. And you're like, okay, like whatever. And I remember watching uh, infield outfield drills on, I believe it was like the first day of full team workouts. And I'm like, wow, like that. Okay. Like that's, that looks really good. And, but I'm also like, all right, let me, let me tone it back. Like it's infield outfield drills. Like it's very controlled environment. There's nothing on the line. Like it doesn't really mean anything. And then that, that, one of the the last few games of spring training where Dansby Swanson's making incredible play after incredible play and Nico Horner's making nice plays. Like, it's like, okay, like that, that makes sense. And then you think about the pitching that they have, right? Someone like Marcus Stroman, where his, he's 
he's most successful if, if the ball's on the ground, if that sinker is, is, is working down and away uh, on, on lefties and, and down uh, against righties, like the, to put the ball in play, having those that defense with the shift, like all of this is, are so cliche. And I like almost hate myself for saying all these cliches, but it, it's so true. Like you, you have good defense that could field the ball and, and, and take away outs. That's really valuable. One of the things that I think the biggest takeaway from, from last season with the pitching was like the pitching was good at times, but the defense wasn't that great. And and if you think about it, like if if a pitcher makes a great a great play and you have average defense that doesn't convert that that ground ball into an out, okay, that's an extra five, six, seven, eight pitches to get another guy out. And if you do that even two times throughout the course of a game, that's like 16 to 20, 15 to 20 pitches that that's theoretically an inning, right? So like instead of going six innings or seven innings, now you're going four or five innings. Like that doesn't benefit anyone. And it, it, it taxes your bullpen, which the bullpen was was solid last year. But if you're having to turn to your bullpen in the fourth, fifth inning, like that's that's not good. This year, like the 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 hope is, and and we've seen it at times, especially those first two games with Seal and, and, and Stroman, like the 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 defense will help and, and the pitching will will work that you can go deeper into games and, and you can kind of not have to burn your bullpen and and have it catch up to you two or three days later. Well, Andy, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Always love your work. Where where would our listeners be able to find you on social media and where would they be able to read your stuff? Yeah, so you can read everything on marqueesportsnetwork.com and you can follow me on Twitter at amartinez underscore 11. All right, Andy, I hope to see you around the ballpark soon. Thank you for jumping on and we'll see you again in the future, all right? Yeah, thanks for having me. appreciate it. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is Season 2, Episode 25 of the Fly the W670 Podcast. We're calling this one David Ross and the Bunt. Don't forget to listen, download, review, most importantly, subscribe to the Fly the W Podcast. So after the latest series, the Cubs find themselves tied for last place with the Cardinals in the NL Central. A little bit of good news coming in, O'Crawley, on the injury front. Yeah, you know, we, um, it sounds like from what what they're saying is that David Ross said that Suzuki took four at bats on Tuesday as a DH in a, simul- a simulation game. They he said this was a quote from David Ross. His oblique is about a ten out of ten right now. He says a major league rehab assignment couldn't be coming soon, and Dustin, it cannot be soon enough because you just you can just tell by the lineup how what, how it just completely changes if you have Suzuki in there. Oh, a hundred percent. But I got it. This is okay. Let's get into the roster a little bit since we're talking about Suzuki. Does Suzuki really need a rehab assignment? Does he need to go play with the I Cubs? I mean, a seventy percent say a Suzuki has got to be better than a one hundred percent Master Boney. I just don't get it. I just don't understand. Or come on, call the kid up. Call our guy up from Iowa. Master Boney has got all these. He started four games for the Cubs now. He's had 12 plate appearances. I mean, those could have all been for Christopher Morrell. Christopher Morrell's only had three games and 12 at bats so far in Iowa at the time of this podcast. Right. And and like I said, I, 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 I'm. Just gonna kind of let this thing play out. I'm not gonna freak out too much. I think that come the, on, that Crowley, freak out with me. There's there's a plan with Christopher Morrell, and they want to see the you know they want to see development, and it's just a lot harder to do that when when you're facing Corbin Burns or when you're facing Brandon Woodruff as opposed to being in the I Cubs and just being able to kind of slow things down, not have to press. I think that Morrell has a real good future with this team, and you know you were asking me what position I think I, I kind of saw him playing. 
And now I keep thinking more and more third base is the way to go. So I I, I think that I want to see him get more defensive reps at third. I want to see him get more bats at, at the minor league level. If you're, if you're saying you want somebody up, honestly, for right field, if you don't like Master Buani, fine, that's fine in, in a short sample size. But I, I would say I would take Nelson Velasquez if you were asking sure. me to put uh, someone me, in right field. I am already ready for a roster adjustment, something. I mean, Master Boney's getting way too many at-bats for me right now. Um, a couple more injury news right here. Lefty Brandon Hughes is going to throw off the mound today. He threw a session on Monday as well. He was on the IL with some left knee inflammation. He, he would have been the only lefty in the bullpen. So again, another guy that cannot come back soon enough. Um, some bad news for the Cubs, right-handed pitcher, Ben Leeper, who I was really excited about posted on Instagram that he underwent Tommy John surgery and his 2023 season is done. Yeah, not the best news, but I don't know how much uh, the Cubs were expecting from him, at least at the major league level this year. Right. It's just a guy I've been keeping my eye on, thinking that he's really, again, when you talk about guys that are going to come up and help immediately, I'm not saying Ben Leeper was one of them, but it's going to be these bullpen arms. So you you just want to keep seeing those guys develop the waves of talent, the waves of arms coming to Wrigley. Speaking of coming to Wrigley, the Cubs come back to Wrigley to face the Rangers. Let's take a look at the probable pitchers for the series. A reminder, Dustin, you're not going to be happy, but Friday's game will be on Apple TV. And as opposed to last season, there will be no freebies. You got you to gotta subscribe if you want to get the game. Got to subscribe, huh? Or you could listen to the game with Hall of Famer Pat Hughes and the Pat and Ron Show and Ron Coomer on 670 The Score, which you know what? A lot of times is a great option. That's a great option. Great call, Crawley. And yeah, I was thinking about, you know, it's Good Friday. I might go out for the game in the afternoon, but I wonder, I wonder if the uh, local watering hole will actually have that game on. Absolutely. I would definitely give that a try and, and see what happens. But because of the rain out, Stroman will start the series for the Cubs. He was excellent last time out against the Brewers going six innings, giving up three hits, eight Ks and three walks. This is going to be Marcus's 200th career start, so that's one heck of a milestone. I keep thinking the guy's 5'7", 5'8". He's my height. And, you know, I got to interview him before, and he's an interesting character, man, but height doesn't measure heart, and you could say that about Stroman. So congratulations to Marcus on that. Absolutely phenomenal. But get this, Dustin. In his last eight starts, dating back to August 30th of last year, remember he had all sorts of issues kind of when he was coming out of camp and, and had some injuries. Stroman has pitched to a 188 ERA. 10 earned runs in 48 innings pitch, and, and he's walked 12 and struck out 43 batters. So he has been hot lately. Oh, come on. Hot. He's been, yeah, he's been super red hot. Nathan Avaldi will be with the Rangers. Avaldi was with the Red Sox last season before signing with Texas in free agency. Last season for the Red Sox, he went 6-3 and three with a 387 ERA starting 20s game. He's pitched one game for Texas versus the Phillies. He got a win by going uh, five innings pitch, giving up six hits, three earned runs, two walks, and six Ks. Um, we can take a look at the Cubs and how they've done off of Evaldi, and you can kind of see here, Jan Gomes, ooh, look at that, 11 at-bats. He's got a 545. That's not a bad sample size. Trey Mancini, you might want to sit him down, 18 at-bats, 167. Hosmer, 571 at seven at-bats. So just kind of something to kind of take a look at. Yeah, I think you're going to get Mancini probably could use a day off his feet. I mean, I guess right. he got today. He guess he got Wednesday and he's going to get Thursday off, but he could he could use a day. I don't want to see him in right field unless it's a necessity, by the way. I, I don't mind with that either. I would rather have Patrick Wisdom out there, to be honest. But in game two of the series, Justin Steele will take on Martin Perez. We all remember Justin Steele's last start against the Brewers. After a shaky first inning, he locked on down. He went uh, six innings pitch, gave up three hits, no runs, one walk, and eight Ks. Unfortunately, he did not get the win because uh, Assad blew the game on that one. Only one player on the Rangers has ever faced Steele. That's left fielder Robbie Grossman, and he is 0 for 1. So for the uh, Rangers, you know, it's going to be – everyone's going to be pretty much seeing – Justin Steele for the first time. So I'm hoping the Cubs can take advantage of that. Absolutely. I would love, I would love that. And I think the third game Crowley, I think is a really, really important start for Jamison Tyone. Yeah. Now, but in game two, we do have Martin Perez. He's a 32 year old lefty who's played for the Rangers for most of his career. Started 32 games last season for Texas, 12 and eight record with a 289 ERA in the one start this season. He got a win in a 16 to three drubbing of the Phillies going 5.2 and giving up eight hits in one run while walking three and striking out seven. So that was a blowout. But like you said, game three is going to feature Jamison Tyone. 
And that's his second start for the Cubs versus John Gray. Obviously, like you said, the first start wasn't what Jamison wanted. He struggled versus the Brewers going four innings pitch, giving up seven hits, three ones, one walk, and only two Ks. He just wasn't crisp. He just didn't have it that day. And, and you know, unfortunately, there's not much you can do when that happens. You try to do the best that you can. But, uh, you know, we saw him strike out a lot of guys in spring training. He looked really good. So hopefully that continues. Um, when you take a look at the Rangers, they have some guys that have seen him before. Uh, Corey Seager is someone you're going to have to look at. He's hitting 444 against Jamison Tyone. So just kind of be aware of that one. So may want to be very careful on how he pitches that one. Um, for the, for the uh, Rangers, you have John Gray. Uh, Cup fans are familiar with him. He put, uh, spent most of his career in Colorado pitching seven, six, seven seasons for the Rockies. He signed with the Rangers last season, went 7-7 seven and seven with a 396 ERA in 24 games. He lost his first start of the year against the Orioles but it wasn't his fault. He pitched 6.1 innings. He gave up four hits, two runs, two walks, and seven Ks. So, you know, John Gray's been around a little while, and so he knows how to pitch. So I, don't, don't, I wouldn't assume that this is just going to be a walk in the park. But if we do a temperature check really quick, Dustin, you know, three games against the Rangers, we, we've kind of heard the matchups. What are you thinking as far as what you want to see? I mean, you got your one, two, three starters, you know, this is what you get, want you going got, into a weekend. You, you can't get swept, number one. You, you can't get swept. Uh, you're back at home. As you just mentioned, you've got your one, two, three. Um, you're going to get one for sure. You're going to get one. It's probably Saturday. That's probably the one you're going to get. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping for two out of three, and I don't want any blowouts. Right, and, and, and you're taking a look. The Rangers are four and two, right? So they, they've gotten off to a really good start. I, I think that the Justin Steele and, and, the, and the Texas hitters not ever seeing him is going to be an advantage for the Cubs. So I think you can definitely take one there. I'm just hoping that Tyone has a much better start and Stroman keeps doing what he's doing and the Cubs can take two out of three. Absolutely. Fingers crossed, Crowley. Hey, Crowley, um, you got a big event coming up Thursday with uh, Club 400, right? Yep, there are still tickets available, but very limited at this point now. You got Justin Steele coming tomorrow, and one thing that is cool is that originally he was going to have to pitch the next day. Now he doesn't have to pitch till Saturday, so hopefully he can stay out a little bit later and have a good time with you. But if you're interested, go to the Club 400 website, or you can contact me on Twitter at Crawley's Cubs, and uh, we'd love to see people at Club 400, and you'll get uh, all you can eat, all you can drink, uh, question and answer with uh, Justin Steele. You're going to have... You could get to take a picture with them and you get one item autographed. So you're not going to find a better deal. Plus the proceeds go to charity. So love to see everybody out there. And, and you get to see one of the most exciting young pitchers in the game, in my opinion. Well, Crowley, have a great time at that. Have a great weekend. Let's uh, hope our Cubs can uh, have a great Easter weekend out at Wrigley Field. That's a wrap. Season 2, Episode 25, David Ross and the Bunt is in the books. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. Follow us on all the socials, and, of course, email us, flythew670 at gmail.com. You can now watch us on YouTube by subscribing to the 670 The Score YouTube channel. Crawley, happy happy rest of your weekend. Enjoy your night tomorrow night. And uh, as you and I like to say, go Cubs. Go Cubs. It's all over.